Hey UBC, it's the Browns and Booker saying hello from Southeast Asia. Just want to let everybody know that we're having a great time this week, experiencing the culture and uh, seeing the Booker's work and what they're doing here in this region. Yeah, we are grateful for your continued prayers and support of us here. It's been awesome just having the Browns here, uh, visiting with us, seeing what we're doing, visiting different places has been a great time for us. We've been so blessed just by their presence here. Thank you so much for loving us as a church family and just being supportive of all that we're doing here. We miss you guys. We miss you and we can't wait to tell you all about it when we get home. Bye! Bye. Well, good morning, church family. What a blessing uh, that music was. What a uh, wonderful way to begin worship together as a family. Um, I'm up here as an elder. I'm up here as a friend and uh, a good friend of Dave Baldwin and his family. And we are just taking a few minutes now to um, encourage them, pray for them, and see them out of uh, Uniontown. Um, it's been a great um, seven years, I believe, they've been here. They came in March of 2015, and uh, Dave has uh, assisted on staff, and he's been an elder, and uh, Louise and Aaron, um, the blessings you guys have given our church family, uh, we can go on and on, and probably uh, many of us have um, stories of how they were blessed and served and just loved on by the Baldwin family. So uh, what a, a great family. They're moving to Indianapolis, so blessed is the church that inherits the Baldwins, right? That's not in the word, but that's what we're thinking. So that's really good, a blessing to them and a little bit of our loss, but um, we will keep in touch and we are definitely um, blessed by them. I know I speak for all the elders, all the leadership here when, when I say that... Um, your help, your assistance has been um, just sometimes everything it took um, for us to keep moving. So that's, that's good stuff too. So we love you guys. We thank you. And uh, we want to pray you out of here. So um, let's bow our heads and let's pray for the Baldwin family. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Dave excuse me, uh, and Louise and Aaron and their love and their service, their dedication um, to you and uh, which just flow down upon their love for us. And uh, we thank you for their um, years of dedication here, Lord. And uh, we just ask a blessing on them and their whole family as they're going back to be with them and uh, all the things coming up in their life. Lord, we pray for the new church they're going to that they would be involved as they have been here, and um, they would be blessed as we have been here as well, Lord. So give them um, safe travel today as they begin their, their journey west, and um, Lord, we are so grateful for the family of God, for the, uh, the hope and the living hope that we have, that this is not that goodbye, this is just um, a reassignment for us and a reassignment for this family, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. For Jesus, it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, All right you get, give it to him and you guys can go. You can go. Give it to Louise and Aaron. Well, I'm supposed to read scripture. 
it's uh, not too often we can take a, just kind of a break and look at what God is doing. And uh, the Baldwins have served in five churches over the last 47 years. And um, I can say that we haven't served with a finer group of people. You guys have welcomed us in with open arms. And I know a lot of us that have joined in the last several years talk about when we walk into this room, it's like we've come home. And that's the way it felt for us the first. I can see a number of people shaking their heads. The Holy Spirit, we were just saying, great is thy faithfulness. That should be the theme song of Uniontown Bible Church because God has been faithful over these last 200 years and uh, seeing so many lives changed, so many people coming to Christ, and so many people being sent out. But we haven't served with a finer group of people that are in the, the chairs and the pews, as we used to say, or on staff or as elders. And uh, you have the privilege and uh, the honor to have the staff and the elders that we have here serving you. Uh, just not going to find a group of people that are more dedicated uh, to God and his mission of seeing the gospel taken around the world. So that's our little... That's my little observation, our little pause as we think about what God is doing among us. So thank you. Thank you on behalf of the Baldwins for making us feel home here and giving us an opportunity to serve you over these last seven years. Our passage of scripture this morning is from the book of Jude. Jude is only one chapter long, and I'm just going to read the first four verses of uh, this book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning. Thank you uh, to the Baldwins. I, I first have to say... Um, I might tear up, honestly. The Baldwins came at a point in time where this church needed stability. And that's exactly what Dave brought into the staff. And honestly, my wife and I and a lot of the staff, a lot of different people were at a really hard time in their lives. And he noticed that and he got us help. And I'm forever grateful. If, if he had not come in, I can honestly say I would not be standing here today. Um, and so I'm very thankful for that. I'm also thankful for Louise and her amazing um, impact in the global missions area. And I'm also really grateful for Erin. Erin has a huge impact on our staff team. She's in our office every Wednesday morning shredding papers. Rest assured, if your name was on a piece of paper, it got shredded and no one was ever going to find it. But not only that, Aaron listened to Michael W. Smith and we had dance parties and we got to hang out with Aaron and she really changed 
the office tone many times when we needed it. So very thankful for that. A little emotional? Yeah, absolutely. As you walked in this morning, you might have noticed there's some art out there in the lobby. We had art camp this week, over 120 kids here at art camp. And then in the afternoon, we had 88 kids at basketball camp, um, all of which were here and were hearing the gospel message every day. How cool is that, right? And in a, about a week, yeah, amen, in about a week, we're going to have VBS, where we have more than 300 kids coming, more than 150 volunteers, all these different people, so get ready. It's going to be crazy. Also, our Philly Fuge trip with the youth. They're back. <laughs> it actually took me uh, by shock because I honestly thought you all would be like zombies since you only slept about 12 hours this entire week. <laughs> uh, they're back. You guys need to go ask them questions and hear what God did because he did awesome things through that. Okay, last thing before we get started. Um, we're working on portable classrooms out back. And uh, they'll be ready by the fall, and we're getting ready to do some upgrades in the building, and we need some of your help. So we have contractors who are coming in to do the big, the big work, but there's a lot of little things like putting furniture together and putting things on the wall. So if you're handy or if you're not handy, we would love some help. Uh, if you're able to do that at the end of the service, you can come up here. There'll be some clipboards you can sign up, and you can do it on your own time. We'll, we'll help you with that. Thank you so much for, for helping us with that. So this morning, I want to start with a joke. Bob Sims, if you know Bob Sims, Bob Sims is the finely dressed man. He comes to the second service. Uh, he has a cane, always a suit, awesome guy. And I got to spend a little bit of time with him a few weeks ago, and he shared this joke, and so I need to share it with you. Billy Graham was flying into Kansas to do a big evangelism rally, okay? And he flies in, and what's customary is he got off the plane, and there was a chauffeur that was standing there with a sign that said Billy Graham. So he walked up to the chauffeur, and he said right to the guy, he said, you know, I'm always in the back of the car or the limousine, and I just, I really want to be in the front seat. In fact, I really want to drive the limousine. And the chauffeur kind of looks at him and says, okay, I mean, it's Billy Graham. Do you say no? I don't know. I guess I wouldn't. So he said, okay. So they walked outside to the car. And Billy Graham, uh, the chauffeur gets in the back, and Billy Graham gets in the front seat, in the driver's seat. And he starts up the car, kind of revs the engine a little bit, turns around, and he says, this has got some power. You know, he's kind of feeling it out. He starts to drive. He's going down the road. He's getting a little faster. He's taking the corners a little bit harder. He's going faster, a little bit faster. He's going a little bit faster. And all of a sudden, here comes a siren. And the police pull up. And this young officer, probably only been on the force for about a week, walks up to the window. And the window comes down. And he sees that it's Billy Graham. And he says, hold on one second. And he walks to the side, and he grabs a phone, and he calls the captain, and he says, Captain, you told me when there's a, a celebrity or a superstar, I'm supposed to give them leniency, but I just don't know what to do. And, and the captain says, well, who is it? Is it the president of the United States? No. Is it the mayor? No. Is it the governor? No. And the captain gets upset, and he says, then who is it? And the young police officer says, well, I don't know, but I think it's Jesus because Billy Graham is driving him. 
All right, so here's the deal. That had nothing to do with the message, but I liked the joke and I thought we could use a good laugh, okay? All right. That's all you're going to remember. That's no good. <laughs> For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude. Jude is a short book. Uh, it's one chapter, and it's jam-packed with awesome insights. It's very to the point. It's, uh, there's not many extra words. There's just a few examples. It's straight to the point. The author of the book of Jude is Jude or Judas, and we know this to be the brother of Jesus uh, that is also discussed in Matthew and in Mark. Jude was most likely not a believer during the life of Jesus, but post-resurrection must have become a follower of Christ. So let's just stop here for a second. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Talk about frustrating. I mean, your brother is perfect, literally perfect. His brothers kind of point that out in the Gospels in a few places. That had to be rough. I know that has to be rough because I had a hard time keeping up with my brother Johnny, and he was not perfect. <laughs> Who is this book written to? Jude uses three words to describe who this book is to. Called, beloved, and kept. To those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful reminder of who we are in Christ. You are called, you are loved, and you are kept or protected. Being called is from God. It's not like God invites you to a party and you can choose or deny. No, it's the fact that God graciously reached out and brought a helpless sinner you and me, into a relationship with him. It's God doing the choosing of who he'd invite. Beloved, you're loved. The God of the universe thinks about you. Can you fathom that? God created the universe, the animals, all the people, mountains, oceans, seas, and he loves and he knows you. Individual messed up you. He doesn't love you because of what you've done. In fact, if that were the case, you've done nothing to be loved. Instead, he loves individual you. Hard to wrap your mind around that concept. The Greek word for kept, the third, means keep, guard, observe, watch over, maintain, preserve. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can rest in the salvation that he's given to you. The Holy Spirit who enters you at the moment of salvation is the promise that you will be kept throughout this life and into eternity. Being kept means I am secure in him. Wow, that's a great reminder of who we are in Christ. We're called, we're loved, and we're kept. So now we come to verse 3, and, it, and, uh, and it's the intent of the letter. Have you ever started doing something 
And then all of a sudden, something comes up in your mind and takes priority and you just start doing that. I mean, it happens to me all the time. Maybe I'm just getting older, but I was literally in the middle of doing something. Something else came to my mind. I started doing that, and I totally forgot about this thing, right? It's kind of like Jude had that same experience. Jude says, I was writing to you to share with you about our common salvation. He was excited to share about how Jesus came, lived, died on our behalf, rose from the dead, and is coming again. It's encouraging. He wanted to share that encouragement and that concept with you. But it's like something occurs, and immediately he feels compelled to talk about something else. Listen to verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation— I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So basically, Jude starts out writing, and he says, well, I really sat down and I was writing to talk to you about our common salvation. I don't think Jude was having an ADHD moment like I have, sitting there doing something and then going, squirrel! No, that wasn't it. No, this was Jude pondering what to write, and his intent is clear. I can see him starting to write this. He's seated at his table. He's got his paper out, his parchment out. He's ready to go. He starts to write about our common salvation, but then he kind of pushes his chair back. He stands up. He gets a little passionate, and he says, No, no, I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's passion there. I appeal, I urge, contend for the faith. That's a strong phrase which in today's context may need some explaining. So first, let's look at the word contend. Contend is a strong word. It's the same word related to athletes contending for the win. You've got to struggle, fight, compete with all your might. It's not simple. It's not a boring word. It's, it's not a non-action-oriented word. It's to endeavor with strenuous zeal, strife to obtain something. You've got to put work into it. Contend takes perseverance intention, thoughts, motivation to achieve. It means to strive in order to persuade, protect, or fighting for the sake of someone else's benefit. The Greek word here is epagonizomai. It's the same root word that produced our English word agony. This contending has sections of agony or distress. Things we experience when we struggle. Contend for has the motivation of deep love and passion behind it. So imagine a scenario where you work hard enough to create agony because of deep love or passion. Maybe it's standing up or fighting for a spouse or or a loved one. Whatever it is, it's motivated by deep love and by passion. You know, I was trying to think of an example this week, and I was really struggling with it, to be honest with you. And then all of a sudden, it just clicked with me yesterday. 
I have a friend, many of you have this same friend, um, Pat Wood has been a friend of mine for many, many years, and Pat uh, decided on his 52nd birthday that he wanted to run 52 miles that day. So obviously he called me for coaching. No, I found out about it later, but <laughs> uh, no, Pat worked really, really hard at training. Every day he was out running crazy amounts of miles and things that, are, that you and I would never even think of, okay? He worked hard and hard, and he, there was agony in it. Think about that, 52 miles in one day. On the day of his birthday, he invited people to run with him and to do that for a portion of it. So naturally, my sons, who are athletic and fit, they ran with him for a little while, and I went with him for about a half a mile, and I walked. But we won't say that. But I got to watch Pat agonize. He contended, and he finished. But he contended. So now we understand what it looks like to contend. Now what are we contending for? Well, it says the faith. So let's talk about the word faith here. Normally in the New Testament, the word faith refers to the act of believing, as in a person's faith. But here it more has to do with the content of what a person believes. It more describes what Christians believe in this case. Verse 3, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude goes on to explain more about the faith. The faith he's describing, it's full. It's the life-changing activity of God conforming to its teaching and its principles and guidelines. It's speaking of complete obedience to Jesus. And also, faith is complete. The phrase in that verse, once and for all, it kind of stands out, right? You don't hear that often. Faith is complete. Faith is not changing. It is final. I think the best way to describe it is what I read a theologian say this week. Faith exists in its final form. Where do we find the context of our faith? The Bible. The Word of God. As unpopular as that may be these days, we base our faith on the teaching and guidelines provided in Scripture. Listen to this part of our statement of faith as a church. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a direct quote of 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. So here we are. We've been told to agonize or contend for the faith. Why did something like this come up and stop Jude from writing about our common salvation? I mean, there has to be something greater going on here. There has to be a threat or something causing him to say this. Well, there is. Why must we contend for the faith? Because, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. 
ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude is sitting back and he's seeing an alarming amount of false teachers or people who creep in. They're stealthy. They may look like everyone else. They may appear to have the same intention as believers, but they're wolves hidden in sheep's clothing. Jude is passionate about this. He's saying you must fight for the faith and against false teaching. There are so many false teachers out there today, right? I mean, we could sit here and just name a bunch of them. And honestly, that would be completely controversial today, even in this room. Some may agree with my list, and some wouldn't agree with my list. We all have teachers that come to mind when we think of false teachers. But what's amazing here is Jude doesn't name them or even number who these people are. He doesn't point them out and say, oh, it's that guy or that lady or that person. Instead, he does something that will help the reader then and today and in the future. He describes the characteristics of a false teacher. Look, back then and today, if we know what to look for in a false teacher, each one of us is given the tools and the ability to discern with the Holy Spirit who that may be. He uses three characteristics for us to discern. He says they are ungodly, they pervert grace into sensuality, and they deny Jesus. Ungodly means without God. These false teachers live a lifestyle that does not include God. It's a lifestyle driven by self-indulgence. Specifically here, it's most likely referring to sexual immorality or drunkenness or gluttony. It can also look like a lack of humility or a heightened self-righteousness. Often it looks like this because they've created their own form of godliness while ignoring the real thing. Second, they pervert grace into sensuality. Basically what is being said here is, well, God's grace covered all of those sins, so since he covered those, well, we'll just live like we want to, full of sin, and knowing that at the end, God's got it covered. Boy, that doesn't sound like our culture today, does it? Third, deny Jesus. This could mean they literally deny Jesus with their words. However, they crept in to the church. So they most likely don't state with their words, but their practical life absolutely does deny Jesus. It's living a life contrary to what Jesus teaches or taught. So saying one thing with your words, or maybe coming to church on Sunday, but then the rest of the week you're living a crazy, self-driven life. 
So now take that list of false teachers that came into your head and see if these characteristics lead you to confirm that they are false teachers. They say one thing, but their life is led very differently. So back in the day, there were false teachers that had crept into the church and were causing havoc. So this isn't new. What's happening today is nothing new. It's been happening for centuries. I think the information superhighways that we have now with social media and internet and cell phones make us more aware. Maybe you feel like there are more false teachers today, and honestly, maybe there are. I don't know. But I do know this isn't new. Remember, he didn't name or number the false teachers of the day. Jude explained what they looked like. I don't need to name the false teachers today. We need to understand as a congregation what to look for. When we say teacher, most of us, we immediately think of pastors speaking the word of God, right? I mean, we think of big name preachers who distort God's word. Or that teacher that we found out after the fact his lifestyle or her lifestyle was completely immoral, right? I mean, that, that has happened a few times lately, has it not? I think he's also talking about the people that crept in. It's not just the people on the platform. Absolutely, he's talking about all of us. Always be on the lookout for false teachers. It's clear they're in the church. They were in the church back in the day, and they're in the church today. But also be careful that you yourself don't exhibit characteristics of a false teacher. It's way easy to conclude that when Jude is talking about certain people, well, he's definitely not talking about you or me. Wrong. Any one of us can easily become or be a false teacher. The moment your pride sets in and says, well, he's only talking about those people or that person or your finger keeps going all these different directions, be very aware that you may need to examine yourself. We can easily fall into the trap of false teaching with our practical lifestyle. In fact, if our practical life looks ungodly, rest assured what's coming out of your mouth or your teaching is also skewed. Why? Because after a while, you need to justify your sin. Here's some questions to ponder and ask yourself. Does your practical life deny Jesus? What are you actively working to change and conform to look more like Jesus? Are you complacent? Have you given up? Do you strive for comfort more than sanctification? Ouch. Those questions got me. And I bet, if we're honest, it may have hit home with some of you, too. 
Maybe it's that one sin in your life that you constantly struggle with. We all have them, let's be real. You've lost the will and the motivation to fight against it. You've essentially said, God, I can't get this under control, so your grace is just going to have to cover it. Maybe it's drinking too much. Maybe it's pornography. You stop and then you go back. You stop and then you go back. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a critical or a contentious spirit. Maybe it's living an entitled life that's centered on you and not on Christ. You know, being vulnerable for me, it's performance. I've got lots of symptoms, or I call them sin symptoms, that come from that one core issue in my life. But at the heart of it for me, it's being way too concerned about what people think and feeling like I need to perform my way to approval of people and of God. See, the moment you start pointing fingers at everyone else, that's the first moment you need to point the finger right back at you. You got to start with humility. Always ask, God, do my words and life display the practical, complete, and full faith in Jesus? Can we ever look 100% like Jesus on earth? No, but that's the grace of God in our lives, and we're supposed to be trying. Jude wrote this letter to believers. He didn't write it to the false teachers. He wrote this to you and me who profess Jesus as Lord of our lives. So, be careful of the false teachers that sneak into the church. But first, always evaluate and make sure you're not one of them. I heard this story recently and it just drove the point home for me. Counterfeit money is a problem. And the Secret Service is charged with stopping the production or the use of counterfeit money in the United States. The Secret Service does not employ countless people to intricately study the endless amounts and types of counterfeit money that's found in the world. There are so many fakes and knockoffs and counterfeits out there that it would take hundreds, if not thousands, of people to do that. Instead, the Secret Service spends countless hours and time understanding the real thing. When they intricately know the real deal, the real dollar, real money, the counterfeits are easy to observe. They stand out. So today, spend time and energy. Contend, struggle, agonize to understand and know the word of God. Contend for the faith. Contend for what scripture states, what it means, its context, its meaning, its application to you. Dive into the word of God and know your faith. The real deal. Instead of constantly looking for what you think is a false teacher here or there and studying them, investigating them, study the real deal study and know Jesus 
through his teaching. Maybe today you need a reminder. Maybe it's a gentle nudge to get back into Scripture. Maybe you need that subtle reminder that all the spiritual books you're reading, all the theological depth, all of the the spiritual self-help, all of those books, and hear me out, those are wonderful and helpful. I read them. I'm a part of them. I understand them. But if it's replaced the life-giving, inspired word of God that is there to change and live in you actively, then you need to get back to the Bible first. And as we've discussed about false teachers, if you know the real deal, if you've studied the Bible, if you're studying Jesus, if you know the real deal, the imposters are clear as day. Let's pray. Lord, I think... um, Today, this was hard for me to share um, because at some levels, I feel like a hypocrite saying it. But I know that um, you've forgiven me in those areas, and I know that as a congregation, my heart is that this body of believers would be passionate about the Word of God and be passionate about studying Jesus and be passionate about being transformed and living a complete life in him. So today I pray that over this body of believers. Lord, inspire passion. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you and they're thinking, what is he talking about? Lord, I ask that you would um, have them come to a pastor or, or someone that they came with and ask questions to understand and to know